Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Hey guys, welcome to Countercharge. I am Kyle Pretzel Twinkie here with Rob Fanuff at Masters 2021. It's, it's live while we're recording it, but obviously when you're hearing it, it's not live. It's live. Yeah. We're live. So let's talk it's about that live. Pretzel Twinkie. Who came up with that? Was that a Jesse thing? Who's, it was a Jesse thing, yeah. I mean, it's caught on. I uh, I mentioned it because when I was in grade school, tons of people, like kids, couldn't actually pronounce my name. So there were people that just threw things together, and and Jesse was like, "Oh, so pretzel and Twinkie, right? Pretzel Twinkie." Yeah, I was like, "Yeah, that Absolutely. that works," and it just stuck. So of course, everything of notoriety gets gets credit to Jesse. Well, we're here to talk about the RC and kind of what you guys got going on, and we're going to bring Pat Allen on in a minute. I just see he's online now. So if you want, give us a little history of the RC. To set the stage for the conversation we're going to have, sure. which is what we're working on now. It's something that I think that is kind of unique to what we do um, is having a rules committee of community members that are a part of designing the game. With first edition, Kings of War, Alessio made the book, and, and I think that uh, that was really his pet project. But as people continued to play the game and, and the community had so much feedback and they, and they were so involved and Mantic wanted to keep them involved... Uh, we basically wanted to form a group of players that we knew were experienced and, and could help drive the game in the right direction competitively uh, based on feedback from events and tournaments and how people were playing the game so that uh, it could stay balanced and stay fresh. So that was the foundation of the Rules Committee, and it's, it's unique. It's something that you don't really see a lot of uh, within the scope of other games. What I think is interesting is that you kind of also use it as like a, a jumping ground for coming into Mantic. Matt Gilbert, yeah. right, was a, was a project manager, part of the RCE, mm-hmm. and did the Uncharted Empires book, right? Yeah. And now he's... <laughs> right. He's head of uh, studio. A, he's a muckety like, muck, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's um, it's interesting. It, Joe Neat was on it for a little while. Yeah. Uh, I think that he, he was a part of certain things, and, and I didn't specifically ask to be brought into the Rules Committee. Uh, it was more a, co- a conversation of how... We wanted communication to be clear between the company and the game. And the, the reality is that Matt Gilbert just doesn't play as much as he did before. Absolutely. He's not as plugged in. Uh, he's, he's not going to events and things like I do here. And it, it was important that the direction of the studio and what we wanted to do with models and releases and background and all that kind of stuff matched up with the rules in the game. So right. it was that natural progression that, that Ronnie felt was going to be a really good thing for me to jump on board uh, and, and get involved. So what I do is, is purely communication between Mantic. Because I'm, well, that's, I, that's know, what we needed, right? Like up, up until this point, like you didn't have an, a Mantic person on the committee. And so, you know, you had the Dan Kings and the Nick mm-hmm. Williams and all the folks. But you, you sort of like then you then you have to talk to Mantic, but who do we talk to? You're the point yeah. person. You, yeah, it's yeah. A, a singular contact, which is very helpful for communication. I think that uh, that basic communication train being broken for a couple of years was was difficult, and and it made sense with me being on board that I could do it, and as long as it fit within my workload, then it's okay to do. And I think that it's been a very positive response within the rules committee so far. I haven't, uh, 
you know, I don't want to toot my own horn, but they all seem very happy to have the communication that I'm able to bring to the table. If, if there's an idea that the studio is floating around, sometimes they didn't hear about it until it was completely done. Right. Where I, I can say, hey, I think we're thinking about something like this. Can you guys get to work on some rules, you know, ahead of time or be ready for it and know that this is what's coming? And, and that just heads up to on their part is really helpful. And, you know, over the years, it's evolved, right? Mm-hmm. People have come and gone. You know, I mentioned Nick Williams, Dan King, Jeff Swan, Chris Kapsner. Yeah. The, uh, there's probably other names that I'm forgetting. Um, and then also, you evolve with the time in, in terms of international participation. Yeah. It started off as a, just a U.S. thing. Well, mostly U.K. with a very limited U.S. impact. And then it was more U.S., U.K. balance. Sure. And now you've added an Australian, right? Yeah, Mike Crossman. Yeah. Uh, it, it's... It's a really good group of guys. I, I was extremely pleased when they decided to bring on Mike from Australia because they have a very legitimate competitive scene over there. And, and what they're doing needs to be considered when we're making rules because mm-hmm. if we're just ignoring them, uh, it, it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really help them at all. And exactly. it's, it's challenging for sure to, to work with them across time zones. Uh, the rules committee likes to do calls and conversations where we go back and forth and, and discuss ideas and vote on things. And Mike, being as far away as he is, can be a challenge, but it's still important. So we found creative ways to kind of make sure that he's still getting all the information that he needs. Things will be recorded and he can review it afterwards and then bring it to the table. Uh, we started a nice Discord server where everyone can sort of throw ideas into, and, and it's it's a place where you can right. reference it at any point in time. So well, Mike's got uh, a different perspective too, right? He's looking up everybody yeah. else, right? You know, and like I said, he's always a day in the future. Right. So he can probably prognosticate better than anybody. Yeah. So. It works perfectly that way. So up until this point, before your transition to the, the RC, Matt was kind of the, I guess, the, right? And he's super yeah. busy. And so I think also this new situation where you're on the committee, that more accessibility to Mantic directly. Yeah, definitely. Um at first, we really didn't announce that I was on board, and <laughs> that's partially because I get quite a lot of attention as it is. People are asking me questions about things constantly, and uh, that's just sort is of part because, of the job. Uh, do you keep it under wraps because you're loudmouth like Ronnie, or? Yeah, I, I, I try to as best as possible, and it's not that, you know, I, I, I don't want to leak things right away, but well, you we strategically leak stuff. He just leaks stuff to leak stuff. Correct. Right. He's <laughs> <laughs> you never know what's going to come out of Ronnie's mouth. Exactly. They use me as a tool to get uh, certain things out there at the right time. So. Now, are you a filter to the rest of management, right? Like, you know, because, yeah, you know, no, when, I, when, yeah. when, you, when you're mainlining right into Matt Gilbert, that's sure. that's a different thing, right? But sure. are, are you a, are you a filter in, in addition to a communication channel? I would say in some instances, yes, because a lot of things get brought to my attention. Hey, we need to work on this or, hey, you guys need to mm-hmm. fix these things. And some things do need raised. Some things do need brought all the way up, and some things need to just die where they are. So I won't, uh, I won't say what ideas or whose ideas that is, but sometimes that's the case. There's no bad ideas, just stupid ones, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, every once in a while. And I'm sure it goes on both sides, right? The RC yeah. may have a, a, a goofy idea that needs to be vetted out, and I'm sure the design studio has something every once in a while, like, make me a rule for a, I don't know, there's probably something. A dwarf flyer. That, a dwarf you know, flyer, <laughs> yeah. So, question on that. We were discussing this this morning, Dylan and I. So, it, it, it was the intention was you had a, a mechanically built flyer thing that grabs a worm. No, the, the mountain worm actually had wings. Oh, it does have wings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're really just putting a mount on it. Now, is, yeah. it, is it the farting that makes it propel? <laughs> How does that work exactly? 
No, they, the, the dwarf just put a mounted structure on it, just okay. kind of like a chariot. And so it just, it just flaps its wings and it yeah, just moves yeah. forward. Okay, all right. That makes a lot more sense. Right. But why would it fly? It was the question that we fly. kept getting, you know. So sometimes, that, I mean, that's a good point because sometimes the studio just comes up with something and it's like, here is what we're doing. You need rules. And, and that was this thing I was saying earlier where, you know, if we know those things are coming ahead of time, uh, we can kind of head it off. And, and if something does need changed or addressed, or we say that really doesn't fit Kings of War, it doesn't fit Armada, whatever it is. Well, you bring up a good point, which is there's a difference between what do we need to fill a, a role aesthetically in the army, right? Like, I need a cool centerpiece model for this army, versus, hey, um, this army really needs a small unit of elite flyers, or this, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so the rules, you know, th there's got to be some... They've got to be connected, but at the same time, they're probably thought about differently in different groups of people. Or yeah. It, what my primary direction was, being in my role at Mantic officially, is to get as much Mantic miniature rules squared away as possible. There are some instances in the rule book where we put models out, and they're not the most competitive option. And it's not that we want to cater them to be more powerful. We don't want to do that. But at the same time, they need to be viable. If, if you've got something in the rules, let's, I think the Hellfane is probably one of the most uh, notorious ones because it's a really cool model. Speak of the devil. There he is. There he is. So, uh, Pat, to get you up to speed, what Kyle and I have been chatting about is kind of the history of the RC and kind of, uh, I guess, Kyle, is there anything else to bring us up to today that you wanted to, to, to mention? I think the best leading off point is, you know, everyone knows that recently Pat and Elliot are the newest additions to and the we had, committee. And I had them on the show. Yeah. I don't know. It's been a while, Pat, right? It's six months, maybe? Uh, at least. I think it was uh, last fall. Okay. So almost a year ago. So, man, time flies when you're having fun. Yeah, it's been some time. Uh, it, 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 the good thing is that with Pat and Elliot on board, I think that we have some some very interesting dynamics within the rules committee. So people with, with certain kinds of opinions, different types of enthusiasm, different types of, you know, when, when you've got some guys that are really excited to introduce new ideas mm -hmm. and, and freshen things up in a really good way, and you've got some guys who want to sort of maintain course and maintain balance, that that's a good thing to have. Well, you guys have had that for a while. Like, you got a Jason Mormon who doesn't really go out and do tournaments, right? right? But stays in his, like, basement or whatever and just analyzes data. Yeah. Give me the tournament data. You know, I, I think it's good that you have different perspectives. Like you said, people that are out there to, to push the, the narrative forward mm -hmm. um, and at the same time keep Kings of War what makes Kings of War Kings of War, yeah. right, without changing it too much. It, Matt James is currently our chairperson, and he helps kind of guide everything and, and put us into the right perspective. I come in and make sure that everything that's going from Mantic to the Rules Committee makes as much sense as possible and then that we work on things together uh, if they need help knowing when the Clash of Kings books is going to be need to, needing layout design date deadlines and that kind of thing uh, that's all really important stuff for them to know they know how much time they have if it's only two weeks remaining and, and Mantic hadn't said anything to them yet uh, that can create a huge disaster when, you know, Jason's going on vacation that week. And it, it, so those tiny little things were cleaned up quite a bit. And I, I think it's been a very, we're, the rules committee is in a fantastic place right now. Well, let's now. talk about that. Let's expand a little bit. You're, you're, like I said, you're the, the funnel or the, the filter, the narrow, you're the, you're the conduit, right? Right. On one hand, we got the RC. So our, somebody at Mantic gives you the vision or this thing and you take it to the RC. When the RC has feedback, 
where does where does that end up when it goes through you? Is it to Matt or yeah? Typically, we go back to Matt Gilbert with it and and just confirm things. Sometimes Matt has questions and and wants to understand things slightly better than he might at face value or he hasn't been a part of the conversation so we have to kind of key him in on what we're thinking uh the studio ultimately is in charge of of what gets passed out so there are things that mantic can officially veto right and well it's their game yeah 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 so that's very important and i think that matt has become way more flexible especially if i come into the picture and say no matt this is something that needs to happen because he trusts that i know what i'm talking well, he's about far enough the removed from the tournament yeah. scene he doesn't yeah. know exactly so that's been the real benefit i mean we there's several things that we've actually gotten through even recently that, that i think matt probably would have shot down uh that that are going to work out just fine so yeah yeah pat obviously you've been on the, the committee for a little while now it's almost coming up on a year right yeah, it's uh, been about a year now. Since you've come on, have you seen any additional changes to the, the rules committee, the structure, the the way you guys handle things? Just give us a sense of what the last year has been like. Uh, I mean, like, this year Kyle's great. Uh, it's nice to have a man on the inside, so to speak. And we've, uh, we've moved to Discord because we're tackling so many projects that it's nice to have different channels. Um, previously, we were on the Facebook message group. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> I, I personally yeah. know how terrible that is, and I can't imagine trying to do any form of project management on Facebook Messenger. Especially since, you know, we also have Mike Frostman on, on and, you know, he's in Australia, so a lot of times he's, poor Mike is trying to play catch-up uh, reading all the messages, and it was just nearly impossible for him to follow in, uh, in Facebook and uh, different channels it helps everybody like stay on topic within the channel. Like every time you're an RC member, like once the time zone wakes up, you'll get a flurry of messages <laughs> uh, that you have to like read. Well, and like I said, Michael's in in the future, so he's sending he's sending notes to the past. One thing that Kyle mentioned was that you guys have different roles, right? Some of you are probably looking at the future. Like, hey, how do we grow the game? How do we change, develop, evolve, organically move this game forward? Some of you are more the stewards of keep the game the game. So kind of where, where what is your role on the committee in that wide spectrum of things? Um, I think I definitely come very much from balance and tournament perspective compared to others. Like, my, my big thing is also I, I try to keep things consistent. Like, if we're pushing for one change in an RV, I'm like, well, this unit is the same type and same points and should probably get that unit. So I try, to, I try to keep things consistent across. So I'm like, well, this unit needs uh, needs this change, but if we change this, we could probably change these guys too. Pat is, is really on the ball about getting a document together it's in, it's insane how quick and, and efficient he is at that i, I remember i had thrown out ideas one of the first things i asked them to do when i came on was hey i want all of you to go and vote give me your absolute top to bottom list of the factions who who's the highest you know is in terms of actual power and who's the lowest and everywhere in between and then once you've done that give me five units within each of those factions that need the most attention. Right. And that gives us kind of a roadmap. Either to bring, to bring back down or yeah, to bring up. Yeah, right. correct. So it was buffer nerf kind of thing. The most attention, not necessarily, you know, that, you know, whatever that approach was. So, Pat, 
I, I said I was going to do this document. I said I was going to set it up, and they would vote for, for it. And I feel like before the discussion the was ended, he had made the thing and posted it up, and it was like, okay, well, that's that's fine. Good on you. Was there any consistency in in yeah. what, what they thought was the top and what was the bottom? Yeah, yeah. He, what was he, the bottom? I, I, I want to say it was Ratkin Slaves, Pat. Uh, let me take a look. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I mean, Ratkin Slaves makes sense. Near the bottom. Yeah, it was definitely near the bottom. The important thing was really just that we had, you know, a, a consistent agreement on, on what needed attention one way or another. You can't fix something or adjust something if the group doesn't have consensus that this is what needs to be addressed. Because something that can happen fairly easily is we all play armies. We all take those factions and, and have close opinions. I wonder a great segue. You know, it's, it's a dangerous thing. To have someone that plays an army intimately yeah. uh, be the one responsible for the changes. On one hand, mm-hmm. they know it intimately. On the other hand, mm-hmm. they're biased. Even even if they won't admit it, everybody has an internal bias, right? Yeah. Just, uh, and so how, how do you mitigate that? One thing that we did, and, and, and I thought this was a great approach, is once we decided to start working on the armies for Clash of Kings, everyone broke out into groups. And it is essentially made up of people who play those factions and people who maybe don't play those factions. Right, or, so you have like a person them. checking. Yeah. So Jason Mormon plays elves. Elliot plays Twilight Kin. So like there's an elf group where all of those groups or all those players are together. But then you also have Matt in there as well who hates elves. Right. He's an so, orc player. Yeah, yeah. Makes perfect so, sense. <laughs> it's important for him to, to make sure that what they propose isn't going to just completely throw things out of whack. How does it work when Mantic, you know, has a brand new idea for an army? You know, you got the halflings. Just give me a sense for how that worked, right? Someone had the, somebody had the idea. We're gonna make a halfling army. So, what what does that look like? What's that? What was that process like? I think that when when you go into the design of it, the studio does most of that. So they're the ones that that come up with what kind of weapons these things are gonna have, how they're gonna operate, and then they give it to the rules committee to develop the rules for them. So when a, a unit or an army, whatever it happens to be, is produced, it's done purely on the visual and uh, lore background. I mean, I guess, I guess there's a little bit that's related. Like, if, if they gave them guns, yeah. well, then right. obviously they're going to shoot. That's what they, yeah. but, but other than that, yeah. the rules kid's got to figure this out. We, we talk about that, and I'll, I'll give an example from the halflings in, in something that has been recently discussed within the rules committee. Uh, the harvester. So... We saw that model teased. It's it's a halfling, basically. It's a mincer. Yeah, it's it's a big mincer, halfling on the back of a troll with a giant mechanical blender machine that he's operating. And we had some rules that were in place for that, and it was sort of an early look. But then everyone sort of said, I think it was Pat in particular that was like, I I think this thing should have big shield. Well, like, it, it, it literally is a walking big shield right. with blades on the bottom. Right. Yeah. So that's a good example of how those rules get introduced and when it matches visually to gameplay it really does make a lot of sense so with the halflings they came and, and they had a bunch of sculpts or a bunch of design concepts right right it comes to you and did you have to did you filter mantic did you in, like oh you guys this is never going to work or in, in, you take- in that instance no halflings were already well on the way before i even started I gotcha. so that, that's not too bad uh the other thing that we're working on right, right. now well, you've been you've been hinting, hinting. at it. Yeah, you've got yeah. you got a, you got a shadowy form that you showed a picture yeah. of. The other thing for, that we're for working on later that, this year that doesn't have nearly as many sculpts, and the rules committee had 
a lot more freedom on what they could do and introduce. Uh, and then in that case, they say, hey, there's a certain type of unit that we want in this army that we think is going to play well with it. It's a it's a critical addition that we know that you're not thinking about. Right. Can we use this? So then that gets taken to Mantic and we say, is this possible? And we get a yes or no, and then they can go forward with it. So, so Pat, I, I have a question for you. You know, what kind of design space do you do you enjoy more? The, the one where you're given, like, in the case of a halfling army, here's the halfling army, here's the units, make it work. Or the one where they say, well, we don't really know what we want, <laughs> or we want to do, like, maybe a, a new a new smaller sub-faction or a theme list, and you guys flesh it out. I, I mean, what do you find more enjoyable? Uh, they both had their own structure. Uh, the, the other army, uh, we can't say it's a theme list, uh, so we did have to stay within that structure, so, so to speak. I preferred making the halfling army, mainly because the theme list still had to, you know, feel like the original army somewhat. In halflings, we were able to kind of decide, design how they played from the ground up. Right. Uh, which is very exciting for me as a new RC member, especially. Uh, I think uh, the halflings are definitely very interesting, and one of the biggest things we wanted to do is just not make them good goblins, you know? Honestly, as soon as you started the sculpts, I'm like, well, obviously they're a theme list for goblins, right? And it's going to be the Northern Alliance Varanger situation, right? They're going to be good goblins. Um, but now you guys are blowing yeah. up my theories, and I'm going to have to come up with some new theories. Yeah, they're, they're going to be an interesting list. Um, I mean, they definitely... At a very first glance, look very goblin-like. They're a bunch of short people, and they have machines and they have trolls. Um, so we, we did sounds a, like goblins. Yeah, we did a couple of uh, different things in the rules, and I feel like they do have their own unique identity on the tabletop, which is really exciting. Well, I, you know, speaking to the halflings, I think this is one of the one, one of the areas where you guys have been able to stamp Mantis brand on something unique you know typically halfling armies are you know you got the token shire folk the fat guys that don't really want to go to war the pacifists whatever you know and that and traditionally even on the gw side that's kind of a halfling army right that the fat guys that want to make you know their, their, their catapults are pots and pans and so it, just just the one thing of bringing trolls into it puts everything on its head because obviously in Tolkien trolls eat hobbits right they don't they don't work for hobbits so you know I, that must have been exciting to take something that everybody has has it one way in their head and turn it upside down sure and and, and the, the tinker mechanic I think is the thing that I'm I'm really excited about uh, tinker is a, is a common keyword but it's also sort of the background of the flavor of what they do so it, these guys like to mess with their technology. A lot of people were like, well, you know, how do they have black powder weapons if the dwarves are all about that? You know, they, they're just creative people. And they're they're heavy into the involvement of Panathor now that they've moved to the Shires, away from Rordia. Like, they're trying to build their own culture up, and that's that's a really big thing. So the technology that they have is, is very surprising. We've seen the... Uh, uh, jetpack halflings, basically, that uh, some people think that are kind of crazy. And when you have units in there like the uh, harvester, that that is a pure mechanical thing. You've got the master engineer. There, there's a lot of synergy and things that you can do with those types of units, and it goes to the background of them. And then you also have the food uh, bits that are in there, and it's not nearly as prevalent as as some factions, but the gastromancy that those guys came up with was just an absolute... That's funny. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a perfect approach. It's in the book. 
uh, there's that page in the book with the magic, and it's on there. And, and I think, Pat, I'll give you credit. You, you saw it and said, that's something that we need to play around with. Uh, that wasn't me on the uh, Elliot actually came up with uh, Gastromancy. I was, trying to, I was just trying to fluff you up. It's Gastromancy. Uh, hey, I'm, I'm passing the buck in case it doesn't work, you know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but uh, Gastromancy is actually really interesting because it's, uh, it's a... The halflings are very new at uh, creating magic, and we wanted to represent that in a way other than just having them have cheap wizards. Because that's not how we started. We had them had cheap wizards that had low spell dice, um, but again, they felt too much like goblins. Right. I, it felt I, like just just a whiz, you know. It makes sense that you want to find. I mean, because there are overlaps with the trolls, short, stunty dudes, right? That you know, goblins have sort of a tinkery a vibe, right? They you know they like to bash stuff together. Ramshacklet. So you, you're looking to find ways that make it more distinct and separate from goblins, which makes perfect sense. Yeah, and uh, halflings, I think one of the biggest things uh, the list feels like to me is combined arms. Um, th- this list is probably more, less of a horde army, more of an MSU uh, army where different things need to work together. Well, and obviously cavalry plays a is obviously going to play a big role in it. Then since you have a combined sprue, right? Like, it, it was really important that the the design of that sprue was going to have a place in play styles. So when you look at the the mega army, I think there there was an image that was leaked from a UK retailer that Wayland Games, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, put it up earlier than it's supposed to, um, which is fine. We actually we put it we we put it in our Dropbox and they just take it. So. They're excited, and I get it, but it comes out, and then... Um, but then you hear all the complaining. Yeah. <laughs> you, Wait, guys, it's not the real picture. You you see a ton of infantry and cavalry that are avail- available there, so we don't want to sell a product, obviously, if those units can't be effective, if they right. can't be the core of the army. Uh, th- that becomes critical in the design process, and I think there's, there's four different unit types that you could break down that sprue into, so it, it's... It's really nice. I mean, right, you, it's a ver- a even though they show that same sprue mm-hmm. or the the outcome of that same sprue multiple times, there's more variety than shown in that, yeah, that picture. Yeah, definitely. Right, and that's and that's the spice of life, right? You know, if, if, to, to Pat's point, if it's really an MSU army, it's really not about spamming and hoarding and the same. I'm going to take seven goblin rabble. You know, like it's really designed to be combined arms. Yeah, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and a little bit of this. You know, the shooting isn't going to be any kind of amazing. It's not going to be the, the goblin-heavy war engines, but they have those options. Well, what's, you bring up a good point. You know, another thing we, we really didn't explore is that they're, they're off-shooting from Rodia. So, obviously, they still have access to some stuff from Rodia, right? Like, they have the dogs. Right. Or less, that's, right? A, that's a core, core part of them. I mean, the halflings did make that stuff, so right. it would make sense. It would make sense that it was theirs. So, the question is, is Rodia going to lose the gun? You know, that, like, at some point... There's going to be enough battles where Rhodey is not going to have access to those guns anymore. I wonder. It's going to be interesting. Maybe down the road we see an update where... I think that, uh, you know, Pat spoke earlier on making sure that, that any kind of changes within one faction didn't invalidate something that was very similar in another faction. And Rhodey is a good example of that. I've seen this question a lot. Yeah, people, yeah you yeah. have. And you've answered it a lot. Yeah. People so keep why, asking, why don't we answer it one more time? You know, if if the halflings and Rorty are going to change and the intention is that we we at least, you know, make the profiles match to whatever is going to be new. If you think about it from a flood perspective, not all the halflings may have left, right? Like they have a, right. you know, there could be a, a Shire or a 
small section like, hey, we, we're, we're cool with Mordia still. Right. And they're still going to you know, pull up their bows and do their thing, make them some organ guns, whatever, you know. Right. So, Pat, how was the experience with the Halfling Army? I mean, maybe give me a sense of the timing. How long did it take to develop um, and flesh this out? I just wonder when we started. Um, we started in the like actually putting wheels together in the spring. This this spring. Yeah. Okay. Like early spring. See now, I'm looking back. Our first notes was back in October. That's that's when we first got like the the framework of the uh, of what these zombies are going to be. Do they already have like the sprue laid out? And we knew that uh, back in October we did know that it was going to be infantry and cavalry in the same sprue. So army should be de- designed around having both, um, like able to have both of them equally present, rather than just an all cav or all infantry or you know. <laughs> We're at Masters and like, but this is a different kind of Masters where players are rusty. Yeah. And so we had the conversation with, with Mark that we had a few rules questions that you wouldn't normally think about. And then they just had to uh, mention that a hey, raise uses the loot token modifiers. So, <laughs> <laughs> Pat, we miss you. You're the only Master that's not here. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, unfortunately, couldn't make it work for my schedule. Uh, I was thinking about it even coming up just between. I, I worked rugby game yesterday and today. Thinking about coming up just between those, but then uh, my uh, job booked a soccer game last night as well, so couldn't make that work. Well, in Austin, you never know with the traffic, right? <laughs> yeah. We were talking about halflings. You kind of started it in the spring. Kind of. At what point did you? You know. At what point? you guys knew this is the army like you had it all flushed out um and and did that happen before they committed to the sprue the, the, the actually cutting steel or you know i I'm, I'm trying to get a sense of the parallel paths of making the models designing the models and rules is it parallel or did one pulls ahead and 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 and, and it's uh, a give and take okay and, uh, and, it's, and it's your job kyle to make sure that they stay one doesn't get too far ahead i i think that uh it's easier to dial back rules than it is to make changes to models. Right. That's that's the unfortunate truth of it. Uh, rules are a inorganic thing. Like they're just floating out there in the ether, and and we apply them to. You can change yeah. text on a piece of paper. Yeah. Or on a computer screen, pretty easily. Very easily. And the models, once they're done, they're done. Right. So that becomes important. That. You know, we, we have those discussions all the time when we see something and want to change it, just like the uh, harvester that we mentioned before. Uh, that makes it easier. So one of the things that we're doing with the halfling list that everyone's kind of aware of at this point, but I'll, I'll say it again, uh, the list is going to be available as a, as a public beta when the models come out. And we're doing that just because we know that we want the full list to be in the Clash of Kings book at the end of the year. But you are going to have the ability to give us some feedback right. before it's officially in the list. It might be absolute minimal changes because there's not a lot of time there. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering in your mind, too, with a beta test, you're not looking for different units at that point. You're like, these are the units. Yeah, yeah these are the units. And and you're just talking about minor, fl- you know, this yeah. one, oh, we need to bump the speed up or this cost down a little bit. Correct. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's going to be pretty minimal changes at that point. But it's really more so that people can just... See the army list. <laughs> Why would you buy an army list if they if you don't know what the rules are? 
Nobody well, it makes perfect sense, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Unless you're just a crazy person that just is all about the narrative, right? Yeah, and, and there are some people that and would do that. there are people like that, yeah. Yeah, some people just spend a lot of time building and painting a halfling army. Even well, though. we got somebody on, right, Rose, who's building a 19,000-point Northern Alliance army and painting yeah. it, like, in a short time span. It's just the insanity is just it's just crazy. I'm going to go ahead and ask. You've got this other project. What can you tell us? Well, it's a theme list. Yeah, it's a theme list. Okay. <laughs> That's, and, we, uh, and we've seen the shadowy image yeah. of this thing that looks like definitely somebody riding something but yeah it is a and, mounted character and, and, and look like a scorpion tail maybe I, that's about all I could tell from the fuzzy <laughs> I've image. had a lot of guesses uh, anybody get close uh, yeah actually believe it or not uh, I, I think that there's only so many things that you can do and, and the silhouette does give away just a little bit so uh, I, there's some excitement. That's that's a project that is is on pretty tight lockdown. Yeah. With me. Well, let's talk about this. It's difficult, right? When you have this many armies, the more armies you add, balance is an issue, Pat. Yes. On one hand, new armies bring excitement, bring models, right? But on the other hand, it brings a new variable to the table, and you've got to like, you know, every army you add, you've got to balance that against every other army you've already built. Right. And so, how do you how do you balance those two things? Yeah, a big a big thing to balance armies is essentially just trying to consistently write. And it, we don't use an exact formula, but we do essentially take a look at like try to cost things up appropriately. Like, uh, for example, Huskarl and Longhorns are pretty similar. They both have infantry. They both have twenty attacks at melee three, but one has crush two, one has uh, crush. One thunder, but uh, the longhorns have pathfinder, so we, we add all the levity and stuff up and get into a where uh, uh, we're trying to get, get into where it feels like both feel good. Um, and, and that's that's the biggest thing about trying to keep things balanced between armies, which is also one of the reasons why the people is one of the more balanced games because. In a profile, there's only so much variance you can have. You know, and another thing, you know, we talked about balance, right? That's the thing. But obviously, when you're building a new army or bringing a new theme list, you also have the people that are looking, oh, man, we don't have models for these, you know, so there's there's that balance, too. Like, you know, you want to get, you want the new hotness, but you have the old hotness that still needs to be, you know, there's armies that don't have models. And so, yeah. I mean, how do you guys reconcile that? That's That's a difficult one. It's a very difficult one because, you know, from Mantic's perspective and even my perspective from before I came on with Mantic, I used to get pretty frustrated with that. Um, you, you look at things and you look at projects and you say to yourself, why are we releasing these new things when other things are completely empty? And I see that as a common criticism uh, on social media. So I, I think that the honest answer is that we follow the narrative with what's happening with model releases. So Matt Gilbert is very heavily story-driven on what's happening within the world. We try to make it a living world that the players have impact on. That's why we do things like the summer campaign. And as things change and things evolve, that's where these new armies are coming from with attention as they come out. So if you read the fluff, especially in things like Halpy's Rift, you'll, you'll get an idea of, of what is changing and what's happening and what models are on the horizon. It really is a roadmap for our release schedule. Uh, that's that's the truth of it. And some things, you know, are 
based on sales figures. You know, when when the old undead sculpts still sell as well as they do, uh, there's not a lot of pressure they're, they're, to. They're, I like them. I like yeah. them a lot. They're you know, are they old? Yes, they're still fine. They, yeah, I mean they're still great looking ghouls, skeletons. The zombies are one of the highest selling kits we have, and, exactly. and it's to, to people who aren't even playing Kings of War, no, RPG, yeah, AOS, whatever. Yeah, yeah. so. That's perfectly fine, but th- those factors come in as well. Uh, I I think that sometimes there's just general excitement about something that pops up, and all of a sudden we've got a new army or we've got a new thing that we want to focus on. Uh, sometimes it's taking steps and directions to make Mantic more unique, have the IP you know filled out in a, in a more flavorful way that that makes us what we are. That's not a copy of something else. So all of those factors go into it. Well, I mean, I think you hit on the head. I think. If you're looking at building something that's already in the army list or doing something new, new gives you the opportunity to put your IP, your stamp, your narrative on it. Uh, If you're just looking at old Uncharted Empires list that came from Warhammer originally, right? Like, okay, we talked about this on our previous show. You know, you you got two choices. You can do something new, unique, original, or you can do something that's already there but do it better. You know, obviously, the, the the first option is the better way if you're really trying to put a spin on something. It's hard to take something that's existing and do it better, and and at the same time, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I guess you could just call your elves elves or something. You could change the names yeah, right. of all the things, but you know, that doesn't really change the an theme. Elf's an elf. No, an elf yeah. is an elf, right? And so that's probably part of it. You know, the IP part of it. The, yes. The narrative, the story. Pat, you want to chime in on that? A part of the reason for creating new armies that people also have to realize is, you know, Mantic is made out of made up of people who, you know, who love this world and want to, you know, a little bit on the artist side. They want to create what they want to create. Right. Um, uh, and, and, and Ronnie can't just, it just can't be more dwarves. And more dwarves. So, yeah. So let me ask you this. Is the theme army coming out? Is it a new dwarf list? Couldn't possibly be dwarves because we already have Imperial dwarves. We already have free dwarves. Yeah. Could be dwarves. I'm not going to say dwarves. No. Yeah, okay. You heard it here first. It's, it's not, not dwarves. dwarves. Sorry, Ronnie. Let's talk about data. Let's talk about, you know, you guys got a, cla- a from what I understand, a massive Class of Kings update coming up. Yeah. Right? We've coming out of COVID. Not a lot of tournaments. In fact, you could even argue that the tournaments that were held were geographically in certain spots. Like, Texas had a lot of tournaments. Southeast had a few. So, that, that may also skew the data to certain regions which have different metas right and so you're always worried about attribution error like oh do do I really understand what I'm looking at but maybe Pat maybe you can take this one you're working on Clash Um, of Kings but you've got limited data or do you have limited or or maybe I'm wrong maybe you have enough data now I mean we definitely have less data than we would in a normal year Um, so even though third edition has been out for a year and a half now it's still kind of feels like the first year meta-wise. Um, but, like, one of the important things that I think uh, Mantic has done a great job of some of the new additions to the RC committee is we have a lot of different types of player and and players from different scenes. Like, uh, you know, Mike Crossman from Australia is great. One, you know, they, they've had a, been able to do a couple more tournaments than we have or than a lot of other places have. Uh, Texas notwithstanding. Uh, and to like, a perfect example is uh, Abyssal Grotesque. Uh, a lot of players in Texas don't like them anymore. 
but apparently they're all the rage in, in Australia, so it's it's good to see. That. Well, that's because they don't play war engines down in Australia, right? They don't have gun lines. Yeah, and that, that's a that's one of the big things of uh, of like metas. Like Texas is actually a very shooting light meta, right? But we know that the southeast, right right next door, has a lot of shooters, so we do plan for it. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's interesting to get the different perspectives from the different metas. Um, and then also, you know, like we we have people in the, in the girls' committee who don't go to too many tournaments, but, you know, who still play a lot with, like, their own local friends, which is an important part of the community, too. Mantic, you know, the, the way the rule set is marketed and developed and, and organically evolving and the rate of change is slower than other systems, I mean, it's it's... It, yells to hey casual players come play me you can put the book down three months later come back uh, look it hasn't changed all that much and so i guess how do you guys account for that i mean you got jason mormon who plays in the basement right that's one but i mean where where where, where do you get that data from the the garage gamer me maybe i <laughs> um it, it's it's a situation i think that uh with third edition when we came in the game had a, a sort of a reset point and what this book wants to do, what Clash of Kings wants to do, I think is, is just introduce some more variety between the factions and some more flavor into gameplay because everything was reset to a very base level. Uh, and the direction from Mantic has been pretty clear to the rules community to say, we want the game to, to have more variety because more variety and memorable moments is more fun. So, you know, when we talk about, so many people say, you got to get rid of things like Snake Eyes or, you know, like. That's just crazy. Yeah. Right? Like, that's like. Those are the moments you remember. That makes King's War, right? Like, you can't, you can't make, if we wanted to play chess, we play chess, right? You got to have some non-deterministic elements to the game. I think that those comments come from the more casual gamers, though. Oh, really? I really do. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's, that's a hunch, but yeah. I, you uh, don't that's see an that being said inter- here. Inter- interesting thing, because you know, I think you're right, maybe the experienced players, they, <laughs> if you put yourself in a position, you should be able to handle a Snake Eyes. Yeah. Maybe not two or three, but like, you know, right. yeah, it's interesting. I, and I, I, yeah. Because I mean, casual players want their dice to do what they're supposed to do. Right. Yeah. So a lot more fun, a lot more flavor that we want to introduce with this. And that's that's really the direction for Clash of Kings. And in fact, so much so that uh, we went over so many different things that we could do. And I think that some people are afraid that they're going to buy the Clash of Kings book, open it up and crack to a certain page and see, oh, my army got nerfed. Well, let's talk about that. You guys have historically always said we're not going to invalidate army. There's been a few instances where like a certain build... You, the, the unit's still there, but maybe it's a regular now. I know personally, I, I mean, I had I have an all-mounted orc army, and I had two of the unlocks were fight wagons. Well, yeah, suck it. You got to pay more go riders, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, and I know they had the abyssal army with the torture souls when that change happened. And then more recently, you know, we had the the all-flying undead army, right? With the it was race, right? The, yeah, they they uh, became irregular. Whose job is it to go into the Facebook groups? and pull out that data because it's hard to sift through some of that stuff between what are legitimate criticisms that are done genuinely to make the game better and then are just rants. And look, we all need a place to vent. I get it. But like, it's hard to tell the difference sometimes. Yeah, I, is that your job, Kyle? It, I, I think that sometimes I bring it to the table in the Discord. Hey, I'm sure we've all seen this. We sort of let it marinate and then discuss behind the scenes 
if it warrants attention, if it needs, you know, brought up. And when you have so many different opinions and varieties in the rules committee, if, if somebody thinks that there is a cause for it, then we need to talk about it. There, there are some repeat offenders that bring things up that, that you know, sometimes you're just beating a dead horse. And yeah. it's hard to kind of figure out what needs to happen. But we do see it. We do pay attention. We do listen. Um and I guess, and, then, and I guess, if, if the same criticism is brought up by multiple sources, that adds yeah, some yeah. Add, add some notoriety or some stamp of approval or something. It makes it a little bit more okay. Maybe if three or four different people in different metas are bringing it up, maybe maybe it's more than just the same. Obviously, the, the most recent FAQ in Arata, and and what happened with that. For those who don't know, you, you had one that did kind of hit the bone giant pretty good. Sure. Right, and we have a couple Masters players here that you know the Masters committee decided, I think, correctly. Hey, we're going to use this thing, right? Because the changes make sense. But we had a couple army lists that were kind of constructed around that that thing, that element that's no longer with us. But it, it has to be paid attention to. So right. that's that was a question that was asked frequently, you know. And and when people bring that up in, in a public forum space, then we eventually have to come to a place where we can address it and and do it as cleanly as possible. And I think everyone on the rules committee knew that was something that needed C- C- common attention. sense, right? Like I'm in combat with another unit. I'm not going to disengage, turn 90 degrees, and walk away. I know. I know. This is an abstract game. I get that. Right? But I would like to at least have some kind of feeling like this is a combat. It's a give and take. And, I, and it, there is no scenario, unless we're running away, we're, we're, not, we're not, I don't know. And there's always scenarios that can pop up that can ask, add but to more questions. But that kind of thing is what pulls me out of that narrative, right? Yeah. Like, oh. It jostles me out. Like, what? Wait, what am I doing here? This, this sense. is a crunchy game. All of a sudden, right? Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not. I, yeah, yeah. Do you get? Do you also get to dive into the the, the, the various groups and pull data out? And uh, how do you find it? Uh, I probably spend way too much time with Facebook personally. It's definitely. Uh, I think everyone in the rules committee, to some extent, keeps an eye on the different groups. Because uh, in a Discord uh, that we're in, we'll you'll see different people talk up about. Um, oh, you know, I saw this in this group or this in this group. And it's whether or not we think it's, a lot of times it's something we're already working on. And then other times it's like, oh, we've already, or, or something we've already talked about and said either it's fine or that it's on our list. Um, and then there's a lot of times where we're like, no, we 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 think that's just a little bit of sky's falling. We haven't really sat through it yet. Well, let me ask you this question both to both you guys, maybe we'll start with Kyle. There are certain ways you can phrase something that's going to get no attention because it just feels like you're just screaming at the top of your lungs. So you're telling, so talking to the audience, you you want your voice to be heard. This is what you should do. You know, the hard part about it is we live in that that social media age where the the threads when somebody posts something that blows up, that that kind of tells you what is going to get attention. Uh, if somebody posts a question and they're doing it very respectfully and, and nothing comes of it or, or it gets answered in two or three comments and people just like it nine times and okay, well, that's the correct answer. Um, those things kind of quiet down and go away. I, I don't think that Facebook is a bad place to ask those questions because we don't really have an official, you know, submit your question Forum, right. to do it. And uh, maybe, maybe that is something we need to have an email address. Yeah. Ask Pat anything, you know, at... Yeah. Something, something, amantic.com. Can't wait to yeah. sort through those 5,000 emails. <laughs> and that's part of the problem is that, all, you know, the guys in the rules committee, th- this is volunteer work. Mm-hmm. I, I'm getting paid, but it's for them, it's it's volunteer work. And Mantic does compensate them, you know, 
in, in several different ways. But yeah, for the but, most but part, at the end of the day, yeah, it's a lot, a lot of work. Time in to do a lot those of work, things. and it's it's got to be a labor of love because if you didn't love it, you wouldn't do it. Yeah, in, in at the uh, protection of those guys, I don't want to introduce some kind of official thing that they would have to continually address. Well, I'm and, thinking it should be you. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 I, I've got a lot <laughs> on my plate. So. Ask Kyle at Mantic. You know, yeah. whatever, whatever email address. I, I don't think it's a bad format to have it on Facebook because I mean we we're all it's a close knit community for the most part and. The people who know each other, and if there's an issue with something, we generally will hear about it. It'll go through the grapevine, and we know what's going on. You have different levels of Facebook, right? So you have these specific army-specific groups. So if you have specific criticisms to an army, those are those, I, I would assume, those are the folks that know that army best. Yeah. Right? Whereas fanatics can be a giant platform. Yeah. And it, it, sometimes it's hard to read through the madness you know, we have a group. There's, there's lots of other sites where, you know, these discussions are happening. I guess it's going to be difficult just to follow all these. Th- I mean, do you, it how is, many yeah. groups are you in? Like 50 or 60? Oh, I Kings of War more Lord than Land? that, I think. I, I uh, mean, it's, I don't know. All of them? And do you follow? Do you actually get yeah. notified every time? No, I, I don't have notifications turned on. That would be so, nuts. Okay. All right. I, I don't even follow all the groups because yeah. it's just when I'm ready, all right, I'll go into Fanatics and I'll look through what's new or... What's going on in Michigan? Whatever you know. What, what's funny is is Matt Gilbert actually is very active on the forums, the Kings War forums, and so he'll, every once in a while he'll pick something out of the forum and come to us and be like, "Is this a problem? Do we need to look at this?" And, and he he's disconnected, so he doesn't always know that we we're already working on it, or no, it's not as big of a deal as you might think it is. The forums are good a good segue. You know, they did. It's weird because we're in a, an age where the people that like forums is is the minority now, even though. For rational discussion and critique, it's quite good because you yeah. can search it and you yeah. can, like, I don't know if you ever tried to find like a post from a while ago that maybe even you wrote mm-hmm. on a certain group and you're like, oh, I can't find it now. So, but on a forum you could. So, and yeah. Mantic did used to have forums, yes, right. But I'm sure they weren't being used. It, it was something that we needed manpower to to kind of maintain, and it just wasn't, you know. It, wasn't worth it so, to keep so, it up. So maybe you need to go after Fred and say, Fred, uh, can, let's have the easy army relationship. Let's, you know, make, right. these, make these official. I don't know. Yeah. So, Pat, how, do you do you look on the forum as well in, uh, in addition to uh, Facebook? Not very often at all. I think last time I checked it was like six months ago. Big thing, there, there isn't really much of a critical mass on the forum to check very often, which then means that you don't post very often. So it, it, the forum hasn't reached a critical mass yet of... Uh, of interaction, essentially. Pat, you know, we, we're going to talk about Clash of Kings, but you be kind of filled a void for us uh, as a, in the community in terms of tournament play. How do you use UB data and and not use UB data? And what I mean is, it's not Kings of War in the sense that there, there's going to be armies that that you can play on that you would see in UB that no one is rightfully going to build because it's it's you know. I'm just, you know, really extreme skew lists. Also, you might see things in UB. I mean, you say that, but then Nick Williams and Aaron Chapman exist. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. Well, but then, but you don't design for the fringe, right? You don't design for the nuts. Oh, yeah. The crazy people. No, I mean, with, with, with UB lists, it, it's, it's definitely we take UB tournament results and UB lists with a grain of salt. Um, and one of the, whenever we, we have looked at UB tournament data, and one of the biggest things... We ask if somebody like brings it up. It's like, 
you know, how, how many of these armies do we know somebody has in real life? And that's kind of what I was wondering, because, like, you do see armies in UB that people are not going to make. Yeah. But they might be fun to play. But, that's, but, you know, those armies are also a decent indicator if somebody thinks that particular unit is too good. Sure. And they spam t- uh, 10 of them yeah. or whatever, yeah. Yeah. And they're like, well, you know, just because nobody's ever going to build X amount of this, no, well, nobody besides Nick Williams is going to build, uh, you know, 100-plus RevCap, doesn't mean that we need to not need to look at RevCap and see why people are spamming it so often on UD. Right. Uh, and in the RevCab situation, it turned out there was a there was a little points error, so we fixed that with um, with the last cock pack and adjusting their points back to what they should be. You want to chime in on that? You know, it gives you an idea. It's insight into what could be what could be broken. If somebody sees something, that it's just so easy to suddenly go into UB and spend 30 minutes and design a few units and then slap, 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 slap onto the table. Um, but on the whole, I still saw in, in tournaments the better players winning. You know, Alex Coos was doing great in tournaments and, and during COVID. Uh, you mean on UB? Yeah, yeah, Where yeah. they don't have clocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's important. I mean, if you want to play five hours, be my guest. <laughs> uh, Tom Robinson, obviously, Tom Robinson. did very well. Uh, the, for the most part, we still see the core of what makes Kings of War good is that the, the generals that, that play the best are, are the ones that are winning, not the crazy list. So what do we think the fact that Table 1 is two goblin? Well, actually, Table 2 it's is two uh, goblin players, right? And then table, table 2 is two goblins. And, 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 and Herd. Yeah. <laughs> Herd and Ogres is on Table 1 right now in Game 5. Weird, right? That's fantastic. I mean, I guess it speaks to the, the that's balance. That's what we want. Yeah, it's what you want. Yeah. You, you should not be able to predict the winner, right? Right. Well, let's talk about Clash of Kings. You know, we, we've, we've hinted at it, that it's a big, a massive change. And in my mind, I, I wonder if it's a catch-up. Like, you had a Clash of Kings last year, this right. year, right? But it wasn't a real Clash of Kings in the sense that you didn't have a lot of data. So rather than swing the pendulum and make things, make the wrong decision, you just right. made a limited decision. And, and now it's sort of like you have a bigger course correction to make. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wouldn't call this course correction as much as really making good on a promise of, of third edition. Okay. So give me an example of that. What if you had to say this is one thing that this this is this is a perfect example of that. I I mean really what the the, the biggest thing I can say about yeah. it, you know, that we wanted to do is get people excited about gaming again. That's been Mantic's message. We even made a logo for it, get yeah, back yeah. gaming. Uh, and John Jack made shirts and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we want people to get back into stores. We want people to be, be excited about playing Kings of War again. Get to your hobby club. Get now, down now we the just base, need models, though, Kyle. Now yeah. we just need models. Just need models. But it, the, the Clash of Kings book, you know, when, when you have been dealing with so much crap and dealing with everything over, over COVID and all that stuff, uh, the Rules Committee got together and when we cast a vote on one very important thing. Uh, there won't be any nerfs in this Clash of Kings book. No nerfs. No nerfs. So nothing's getting worse. No. So the bottom's coming up. Yes. Interesting. That's that's pretty cool, right? Because that yeah. means that if you know how your thing works, a top-end thing works, sure. it's going to stay the same. Uh, the problem is the people chasing you are going to... You know, get a little speed boost. But maybe. I mean, think about how cool that is. Like, yeah, it's cool. You, you can open that book and know I've got some cool new sh- coming. New units? In some cases, yeah. New theme lists? 
Yeah. In some cases. We know that. Yeah. New army list. We know halflings, right? right? Got to be in there, yeah. right? Lots of new stuff. I mean, it, it really is a very big and, and, and intense book for what people, I think, see Kings of War as what it could be. A lot of potential that can come out of this. Right. That's, it's it's got to be a delicate balancing act, though, because, like we said, you mentioned it, you want things to move forward, to move yeah. the narrative, but you don't want it to stop feeling like Kings of War, right? Right. So how do you... How do you control explosive growth? Right? Yeah. I mean, how do you, you know, like, those the, that amount of changes, but still, I mean, how, you know, I don't know. It's, it's got to be difficult it, to maintain. It, this it is, is the core. Yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, I guess you guys had to define this is the core piece of Kings of War. Yeah. I mean, are, are you changing core rules or are you just doing unit stuff? I, I think that it, it's important to see what we're going to do with the units primarily. Um, each each faction is going to have you know two pages of content, so there are some rules tweaks you know to the to the mainline game. But for the most part, it's it, you're you're going to want to buy the book for what's changes. Well, are I assume all the errata stuff that's come over, right? You know that's all going to be included, yeah, in there as well. Well, the, and actually, the online book, your, the digital version of the rulebook updates right when the errata. Yeah. So well, we talk about you know core rules. If, if you consider the normal magic item changes, there's going to be some some new magic. Uh, well, well, that's a Clash of Kings staple, right? Yeah, yeah, some absolutely. Go out, are, are we going to lose some magic items? I no. I, to me, that would be considered no, a nerf. Um, yeah, that that was uh, that was the question of whether that was considered a nerf or not, and we decided that was. Uh, some armies rely on certain magic items to work. Some magic items are going to change. From what I can, uh, what we can gather, the ones we're changing is uh, nobody took anyway. So you're just trying to make them better and make them. Better. Yeah, like I mean, for example, we, we're changing Dark Lord's Onyx Ring. Okay. Because uh, I haven't seen that in. What, what does that even do all. anymore? I don't even remember. What is that? Is that a regen? Five for an individual? Or it gives six up regen for an individual. Yeah, I think it's individual only, and and it no longer stacks with somebody's regen or anything like that. Um, so we're we're. Playtesting a, a change to that. That's exciting. You got one you want to share, an example? I, the important thing really is that it, right now, anything that we, we are talking about is it's not... It's all yeah, subject to it's, change. It's, we, it's not we don't print, know. The book's not out. Yeah. The book's not in, at the printers. No. We, we literally have a cloud of ideas that are going to go to playtesting very soon. Pat, do you know it's like next week or two weeks, something very soon. So... Yeah. Are you expecting all your changes to make it through, or do you think there's some that are no. like pretty, pretty wackadoo and like maybe a bridge too far? Yeah, there, there are several things that we flagged for further discussion, but we may still send to play testers so that you know outside of the rules committee gets feedback, and, yeah. and that's important. So, do we think this is going to be the trend forward, like, or is this a one-time big, big change? Do you think next year, 2022, it's back to the old? Slight of you know an organic change, I, I, rather, I think rather than evolution rather than revolution. It really just kind of comes down to what happens. You know, sure. if if the game demands more change, we have to give it more change. Right. Uh, if it doesn't, then we need to keep things dialed back. I mean, I can't say that uh, no Clash of Kings will ever be a no nerf book. You know, again, yeah, yeah. something well, like that. I mean, so. I'm sure you got another army for next 2022, right? There's got to be a plastic <laughs> army coming, brand new, nobody's even thought about. Like I have no idea. If that's undead the case. pirates or something. Yeah. I don't know. There's got to be something coming. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Pat, what are you most proud of about the process that you guys are going through for this uh, new book? I mean, it's a lot of work. It sounds like a lot more work than normal. One of my most exciting things was uh, in this theme list. We decided that instead of uh, porting over the original caster from the. Uh, original master list 
to make its own caster. And after we play tested that for a little bit, uh, you know, Mantic actually ended up looking at it and creating a model for it. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so I think I think that's uh, one of the more exciting things. Um, you know, there's a, m- most of the time, Mantic is like, we have this idea for this model, make rules for it. But there, there's a couple instances where it's like, oh, well, we, we this army needs this, and we're going to make this rules with Alice. Thankfully, since he's joined, he's been able to help, you know, like, point out to Mantic that just because we're not making a model doesn't mean that they don't need it in their rules. And then it kind of evolved it to like, well, actually, that's a cool, like, we like the idea of that, so we'll make the model of it now. The give and take of that. The halflings, they have this gastromancy, right? Are we going to see more changes to the magic for existing armies? Because, I mean, you've got this new dynamic way uh, the halflings are playing, right? Like, are you going to see some of that washed over onto existing armies? So yeah, there, there's going to be actually a pretty big shakeup uh, in, uh, in Magic, um, or at least there's plans to be. It, it's we're uh, again, we'll, we'll say the caveat: it's all subject to change. Yeah. You know, this could be um, complete. This could be a complete misdirection by Kyle. Could be making this up, but yeah, we think there's going to be a big change, <laughs> but it's all subject to playtesting. Yeah, there, there's going to be a lot of new spells. Um, some of them you've seen before uh, that we've grabbed from Alpy Scripts and uh, and tweaked or or gonna see if uh, needs to be tweaked. So are we gonna get like our own version of Purple Sun? No, um, I kid, I kid, I kid. We're not gonna have six type monkeys, are we? No, uh, I mean there are gonna be some spells theoretically if they make it through playtest the gauntlet of playtesting that are going to be more powerful than what we have now that's interesting because you, you know you know you think about kings of war historically right from first edition second edition, magic has been a supplemental thing are we are we are we looking at it jumping that it's no longer going to be supplemental it's going to be i mean i guess you could argue certain armies already it is not a supplemental thing you know the goblin lightning bolt spam or the night stalker Lightning bolts. I, I don't know. I'm just lightning bolt spam is boring. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, but so it's sort of if, if so. It, let me let me ask it this way: If that exists, are we bringing a yeah. counter? Right? right. Like, okay. What other fun can we introduce to the game? You know, it, it, it helps. Uh, we, we we've already mentioned at one point, you know, on on the preview day that the halflings have a special rule. Uh, called Spell Ward, where they essentially are stealthy to magic. It's it's a minus one modifier to magic, and that that's that's a big deal because you know it's a weakness for Night Stalkers, right? Uh, to get shot up by Lightning Bolt, and sad for them. Um, halflings are, are better at it. When so. are we gonna get rid of that stupid rule with the hex caster only hitting on six? That's that's <laughs> that's that's some straight up garbage. Just what other changes are you? Uh, that you're, I mean, uh, not like specific changes, but what other? You know, buckets of changes, if you will. I mean, Magic's one of them. Yeah. Where you're trying to add, you know, obviously we talked about it on a previous cast that you're probably going to use the spellcaster level in a mm-hmm. certain way. Like, Correct. I'm assuming Pat mentioned you may have some more powerful versions of spells, right? Yes. And I'm assuming that only the big dad, you know, the, the big highest level spellcasters are going to be able to, to channel those. It's it's just like in Halpy's Rift where there is a cost associated with it, so the more, you know, the higher tier spells are going to cost more. Right. But you right. have to be a spellcaster that's actually, you know, capable, a, of, actually, capable of doing it. Yeah. you got to be studied and learned. you got to right. be a learned spellcaster. Right. can't just be, yeah. 
So what, what other, I mean, is there any other kind of uh, bucket of uh, changes? There, there is one big change that we're, we are allowed to leak. Um, oh, here we go. And it's a... Uh, it's actually a very small change, but I think it's also one of the biggest impacting change, uh, and that is conditional inspiring. Right now, uh, we're we're, we're going to be te- play testing whether or not we want to keep conditional inspiring because you know right now you have the full mythican who only inspires uh, cephalopods. Um, the def- def- I'm going to use a bunch of Trident Realm uh, examples because they have a lot of conditional inspiring. So we're play testing whether or not. Uh, we get rid of that, where anything that has conditional inspiring inspires everything, um, except for inspiring self. And I think that's going to open up a lot of uh, a lot more builds. Well, that, you bring you bring a very good point. You know, things that don't get taken a lot. If something has conditional inspiring, it comes into play. Well, I need, I would like this spell or this thing, but they only they only inspire the the, the earth elementals. Yeah, Stone Priest, I think it's going to be, uh, uh, I think, a lot more interesting. Uh, you can see a lot more of them leading the armies now, uh, now that they inspire all everything in the army rather than just uh, Earth Elemental. Because, I mean, if you're going to take that guy, oh, I now i got to give him the Inspiring Talisman for 20 points. But if that's not, if that, not that, you don't have to do that anymore, well, then he's a viable leader. And you'll probably see more Inspiring on the table. Because some of those characters were taken anyways, right? Because they have other benefits that... And now you're just the inspiring is just a little bit. It goes back to what we said. Not nerfing anything. We're just going to bring them up. Right. That's pretty cool. And, and then on the flip side, though, because we still want keywords to be important, um, we are adding. A, we are looking at more R's as well. And that way, the way we figured it was, you, you can have like, going back to the cool mythic. Um, right now, if you take him, you're only he only inspires Tool and Kraken. Um, so if you if you take a bunch of them, you're probably going to be spamming just those. Well, now you can take them and he can inspire the Nyas, the Water Elementals. But we do still want him to interact specifically with Dual Kraken, uh, especially. And we're looking at doing that through auras rather than inspiring. Well, and I guess you could argue that inspiring was kind of an aura, right? Right. I mean, it's just a, <laughs> a 12-inch bubble. You know, uh, but if that's the only benefit they bring to the table, that's you know, it's not exactly. very exciting. But so yeah, I mean, just yeah, make inspiring, inspiring. And night soccer players will rejoice. Well, they don't care, right? Like additional yeah, inspiring yeah, to them, they didn't give a crap. It's not changing for them. Well, that's awesome. Characters get a lot of attention in this book. I mean, it, one thing that I brought up specifically with Mantic was with Halpy's Rift, we introduced a whole bunch of new characters, but they were characters that were... And some older ones. Yeah. Mm. But they were characters that were specific to Mantic factions. Yeah. So I thought it was very important that we didn't say to our player base that if you're not playing a Mantic army, you're not going to get new stuff. And so a directive for this Clash of Kings is that everyone gets their new characters that they didn't get in Halpy's Rift. Awesome. So the guys that missed out on those things are going to be looking forward to some new Living Legends. Interesting. Interesting. And we, uh, we, I do like that a lot. And uh, like even Kingdoms of Men, which, you know, Mantic isn't going to make a specific Kingdoms of Men. Why would you? I mean, at this point. Every human army. Uh, But they'll be getting a new Living Legend and we're... A living legend assassin, maybe with like some kind of cape. It could be like a Batman. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just spitballing here. <laughs> uh, there, there'll be. We have the captain, right? Um, and I can tease the name of the living legend. It'll be the monarch. Uh, so you know, the, ne- the next up. And we, we still want to keep in the men kind of the army you can plug your own narrative into. So we gave it a generic name. And then I guess that's an important thing too, right? You want certain factions 
to have that IP spin, that that nar- that mantic narrative. But you also got to be cautious of you. You want the sandbox approach. You want like here's a place where I can put my army, and I can come up with my own story, and it, it can still fit. You know, so I guess it it's got to be challenging. You know, uh, writing a cohesive narrative for the world, for the universe, but still allowing individuals to explore their creativity in their own armies. It's a challenge, I would imagine. Yeah. Kings of War, you know, a huge draw of it is that somebody can can take whatever they have and, and play an army. Uh, one of my store owners, the Cody from Reno, uh-huh. uh, he says it's it's the best game that you didn't know you already owned. Right. Like, you've got models for stuff you can bring into the table. And, and, and to me, personally, even, you know, a major sales role with Mantic, that's, that's an incredibly important thing as a recruiting tool. So the factions need to have the ability that somebody can come in and look at it and say, hey, what could I play as that fits this? And that's such a flavor of King's War, and it's important to have that. I really believe that. It's a universal truth that, like, when they ask that question, what do you want to play? Like, literally, if you have an army, yeah. you could use that army... Within reason, as long as you're not crazy, you know, I mean, come on. You know, if it fits the the profile of the units that you're running, then, you know, oh, look, that's infantry, that's cavalry. You know, there's lots of options. Brad McKay's got a full Mantic army. Yeah. He's playing Northern Alliance, I believe. Could be Varinger. I think it's Northern Alliance. Yeah. It's all sci-fi dead zone models. Right. Plague and all that. And and I took pictures of it and sent it to the guys, and they were going nuts over it. Yeah. That's fantastic. Like... He's not running any problems. He's at it at Masters with it, and people aren't saying, "Well, what's that supposed to be?" Like right. it, it's it's a game that really allows you to imagine what a unit should be and be okay with it. So, what are you most proud of this year, Pat? I mean, what's what's been the highlight of your year so far? I feel a little bit like a broken record, but I, I do think uh, the Halflings Army and the uh, and the Unknown Army are are, going, are a lot of fun. Well, we, we know it's not dwarves. Yeah. We, we have it on record; it's not dwarves. So. The, the not yeah. dwarves army. Also, just the fact that Mantica decided to create a unit that uh, us as RC, or create a model out of a unit that us as an RC made up was pretty cool. Same question to you, Kyle. What are you most proud of this year? I really think this Clash of Kings book is going to be a huge hit. Uh, I, I know that I'm speaking to something Jeez. that's in the future. Yeah, <laughs> something that's in the future, but um, it, it's the work that's gone into it, the amount of time that's gone into it. When, when you finally get to see how much attention these guys on the Rules Committee put into this stuff, how much deliberation, how much, you know, actual, real, hardcore thinking goes into things. And all the playtesting you're about to do. Yeah, yeah. It's it's impressive stuff. And it's it's hard not to be proud about it. It really is. Without having a threat of having too many innuendos, I think this is going to be uh, one of the biggest Clash of Kings that everybody's going to you enjoy. Know, you did mention the book is huge. Well, we know there are two new army lists. We know there's new magic. We know there's new items. We know there's two pages per faction. There's a lot of factions. That's a big book. There's there's even some some stuff in there that we haven't talked about. So sections that... We got maybe new rules for another game or... No, no. Okay, not no, quite like still that. Still just Kings of War. Yeah, yeah, you know, When are you going to get your act together, though, and get Vanguard and Kings of War in the same book? Why can't we get some Vanguard updates? We should do that. Right in the book. Yeah. I mean, you can, it's a couple extra pages, right? Yeah. We should do that. Yeah. I'll pass that on. Yeah, pass it on. That'd be, that'd be good. As a filter. Exactly. Well, you, you are a great filter. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, guys, for coming on. I appreciate you guys' time. I know, Pat, thanks for joining us remotely. Hopefully, uh, you don't have to work too much today. Um, and uh, have a great day. Thank you. All right, well, that's going to do us tonight. Until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. 
Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. 